to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on the end times. This week, we are skipping ahead to chapters 11 and 12 of Daniel. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open up there to follow along with this message. If you're interested, we have additional resources on this message, like our discussion guide that you can use to review this message alone or with a group. Or if you just want to catch up on our past messages, you can find all of that on our website. Visit brookwoodchurch.org, or you can use our Brookwood Church app, available for iOS and Android. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. I'm your peace. power of Jesus name in your life has it made a difference we ought not look like everybody else today we complete this series on Daniel which I called living in a foreign land and today's message is entitled coming events and it focuses on the end time so I might let you out early because all I have to do is explain how the world will end So take out your message guide. The theme verse that I've selected out of this passage is from Daniel chapter 12, verse one. And it says, then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. And of course that refers to the tribulation and suffering that will occur in the future. Now, let me give you a little background to kind of understand the lay of the land. Now, the end times or the ultimate destiny of humanity focuses on what kind of biblical literature? Prophecy. I need another one. Say that again louder. Revelation. Well, that's a book of the Bible and it is revelation. So far, I'm not handing out any gold stars bronze perhaps it's oh you're getting good over there that's not the right answer but it's smarter (laughs) it focuses on apocalyptic literature apocalyptic literature and apocalyptic literature is divine prophetic those of you that said the word prophecy revelation the one who said that that outlines a sequence of events. So the the genre of writing is apocalyptic literature. See, the Bible contains many different genres of literature. And you have to interpret each genre according to the guidelines for that genre. You don't interpret apocalyptic literature by poetic literature. You don't interpret it the same as historical literature. You see what I'm saying? They're different guidelines. So this genre of literature is apocalyptic, but it is divine prophetic revelation. Now, apocalyptic literature or writing uses vivid imagery. It uses poetic phrases and symbols to warn of future events. It gives glimpses, 
not a full or clear description of these events. Now, the primary examples of apocalyptic literature in the Bible are what? Name me two books. Daniel and Revelation. But it's also found, and let me say this, in Daniel and Revelation, there's 17 prophecies. But there is also prophecy and apocalyptic writing found in Ezekiel and Zechariah, Matthew 24, and some other places. Now, the foundational principle of understanding Scripture is that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And you construe different passages so that they are consistent. So if you're reading passages in a way that makes them inconsistent with other passages, what are you doing? You're misinterpreting. You're misinterpreting. Because the scriptures construed together consistently. Now we may not know the full meaning of this apocalyptic writing now. Because the future is described in supernatural poetic visions. And they're not explained clearly. But as the events occur, we will be able to recognize what is happening because of what we've been told. The first question when studying apocalyptic writing is, you know what it is? Is this literal or is it symbolic? And if it's literal, how literal is it? You like that, did you? Good. Now, the study of the end times is called eschatology. Give that man a gold star. Yes. Yes. There's the right time. But I'm going to deal today with Daniel chapter, chapters 11 and 12. Now, the prophecies of Daniel chapter 11 deal with conflicts that occurred in history. They occurred between two of the four kingdoms that came out of Alexander's empire. Alexander the Great had no descendants to follow him. So his empire was split among four different generals. They each formed kingdoms. Two of these kingdoms emerged as more powerful than the others. The southern kingdom was ruled over by the Ptolemies. And it was based in Egypt. But it also included Libya and Sudan. The northern kingdom was ruled over by the Seleucids. And it was based in Syria and Babylonia. But it included modern-day Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Now, Daniel 11, I'm not going to teach all that verse by verse because all of you will be asleep. You will not need sleep aids. But that, that portion, 1 through 35, has been fulfilled. 
because it predicted in advance of the fulfillment, though, historical conflicts between the northern kingdom, which is led by whom? Seleucids. Somebody said it over here, didn't they? Seleucids or Syrian. You can hold on to Syrian kings if you want. The southern was led by whom? Go on home. Ptolemaic or Egyptian kings. Now, the historical events and wars that took place between these kings and kingdoms foreshadowed and became in time prophecy concerning the Antichrist who is portrayed as, who is referred to as the king of the north and Egypt, which is referred to as the king of the south. Now, you can buy commentaries if you want all this detail. I commend to you, though, the um, ESV version of the Bible, and there is a great study Bible that gives uh, very good notes, ESV. Now, scholars disagree on a lot about the end times. But most of them agree that a certain northern king named Antiochus IV Epiphanes, Epiphanes means, excuse me, manifest one, who ruled 175 to 164 BC. And he's referenced beginning at chapter 11, verse 21, is perhaps the most significant type of the Antichrist in the Bible, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, how many Antichrists are described in the Bible? Y'all were doing pretty good. Now you've all quieted down. How many? No, not one. One chief who is the Antichrist, but the nature of Leaders that, that lead us away from God and dominate and even torture is many. There are many antichrists, 1 John 2, 18. We, there have been many others live. We may, be, we, may, we may have even experienced some in our lifetime. But they're not as central as this one singular antichrist who will come in the future. This chapter is one of the clearest about from where the Antichrist would originate. Where would the Antichrist originate? Where do y'all think? The Middle East is, I think, obvious now, but that's not. Some of us that have been around a while longer, where, did, where did, were we told the Antichrist would originate from? Europe. Europe, yeah. It was the, the, the new Roman Empire. So, so the ten-headed beast was supposedly the European Union. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've never been scared of Italians bearing pasta and French bearing croissants. I've never been scared of them. I think it's clearer that this Antichrist will emerge from Islam, though he won't be Muslim, actually. He won't be an advocate of any faith. 
He may appear to be for a while. For our purpose, I'll deal with prophecies that are found in the latter part of Daniel 11, and I'll deal with chapter 12 this morning as well. Because these parts have not yet been fulfilled. And they appear to point to the end times and the Antichrist. So in the end times first, the Antichrist will arise. Daniel chapter 11, we're going to begin at verse 36. Now, here's one of the problems with understanding this apocalyptic writing. The narrative is talking about Antiochus IV. But then it seems to shift focus and starts describing a leader and a situation that will go beyond Antiochus IV and will lead and cause persecution greater than that that he did. So the remainder of the chapter beginning at verse 36, is thought by many to refer to this singular antichrist. At 2 Thessalonians 2, he's referred to as, what's he referred to as? Man of lawlessness. In Revelation 11 through 20, referred to as what? Or the beast. In 1 John 2, 18, antichrist again. So Daniel 11, verse 36. The king will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed at Christ's return. For what has been determined will surely take place, determined by God. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the God loved by women or any other God, for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Now, Antiochus did claim to be a God. In fact, Epiphanes was a name attributed to him that meant manifest one. But he didn't reject all the Greek gods. He only rejected the God of the Jews. In fact, he tried to pressure the Jews into worshiping Greek gods. Remember, he erected a statue in the temple. Who was that statue of? Say it loud, somebody. Zeus. He erected a statue of Zeus in the, in the Hebrew temple in Jerusalem. But this Antichrist will worship no god. He is referred to in Daniel 9, 26. We looked at that last week. Antiochus also did something horrific in the temple. What was that? Sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, on the altar of burnt burnt offerings. And that was in 167 B.C. And in the New Testament, that's referred to as what? Abomination of desolation, Mark 13, 14. We continue at verse 38. Instead of these, he will worship the God of fortresses. Now, the God of fortresses likely refers to military might. A God, it says, his ancestors never knew. So it wasn't 
one of the Greek pantheon of gods, and will lavish on him gold, silver, precious stones, and expensive gifts. Now see, this can't be taken literally. Otherwise, you've got a statue of a God and there's gold being placed at the statue's feet or somehow in worship of this God. So that can't be literal, you see. But if you look at it figuratively, symbolically, it seems to say that this man will build a military arsenal using great resources. Verse 39, claiming his foreign God's help, again, this God of military might and power. See, it's a different God because were there any Greek war gods? How many of y'all studied Greek mythology? Did y'all go to school? What grade do you study Greek mythology in here? Say it louder. Ninth. Yeah. We studied in the sixth in Georgia, but we're a little advanced over there. But um, there are two Greek war gods. Who were they? Ares was actually the god of physical violence or aggression. But there was a female war god too. What was her name? Athena. Now some of y'all passed that class. And Athena was the, the goddess of intellectual military strategy. What's that tell you? The woman's into thinking things through and the man's into just breaking stuff. <laughs> but the Antichrist ignored both of those gods though they did deal with war. And instead, he is focusing on building up a military arsenal. And he will attack the strongest fortresses. What do you think that is? The strongest fortress. What's the strongest fortress today? Say it again. Not America. You got a better idea? Not Israel. Y'all are thinking too literally. Not Russia. They can't make a washing machine. I've been there. No. The strongest fortress today is your faith. Because what's the one thing no one can strip out of you? Your faith. When we see it today, even politically, Christian faith is attacked. That's the whole theme of this series, living in a foreign land. Because the thing that's holding back a pure humanistic culture where morality is ambivalent and debatable is the Christian faith and the way we stand on God's morality, that's the fiercest fortress. And that's the one that'll be attacked. And he will honor those who submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as his reward. It's interesting, isn't it? There's always graft, isn't there? 
There's always political favoritism used. So this person believed to be the Antichrist will expend vast resources to build great military strength. Perhaps nuclear or something beyond it. Will attack the strongest resistance against him, which is our faith. Now this is my opinion about our faith. And will reward those who are loyal to him. So here's my first question. Will you be able to recognize the Antichrist when he arises? We think, Forrest, will you? In the end times, the battle will be fought. Verse 40. Then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north being the Antichrist. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, charioteers, and a vast navy. Well, is that literal? Come on, Daniel, is that literal? He's going to use chariots (laughs) and charioteers. He might use the Navy. But see, here's the point. That would have meant something to Daniel. That doesn't mean anything today because despite what Daniel thinks, we're not using chariots and charioteers in battle. Now, some people say, oh no, this means tanks. Where does it say tanks? So that's a question. Is it literal? Is it figurative? You see what I'm saying? Is it symbolic? He will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. 41. He will enter the nation, the glorious land of Israel. And many nations will fall, but Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. Do those nations exist today? No. People live in their place. There are nations that are perhaps descendants, but those those peoples don't exist as nations today. He will conquer many countries, and even Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver, and treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will be his servants. So you see there, perhaps the wars and the rumors of wars of Matthew 24, 16. And then we jump down. See, at the end of this time, the king of the north believed to be the Antichrist. Doesn't say Antichrist, but he believed to be the Antichrist. Will conquer many nations through a powerful military campaign. And he'll initiate a reign of terror. But he'll be halted by an announcement at verse 44. But then news from the east and the north will alarm him. And he will set out in great anger to destroy and obliterate many. He will stop between the glorious holy mountain. What's the glorious holy mountain? Say it again. The temple mount. That's exactly right. And the sea, what sea? Mediterranean, you, you come over here by me. You're gonna be my, my teacher's pet today. 
Yes, he'll set up his camp between Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and the Mediterranean Sea. Exactly. And will pitch his royal tents. But while he is there, his time will suddenly run out. And no one will help him. Now we believe that this battle that's being described, this final battle that leads to the, to the death of the Antichrist is referred to as the battle of what? Armageddon. Now Armageddon is actually the plain of Megiddo, which sits, which starts at the base of Mount Megiddo, but it's not really a mountain. It's more like a big hill. We've been there. Um, I saw Rodney earlier and Leanne, a lot of you. We went to Israel and we, we climbed, we, well, we were in a car, actually in a car, to the top of that mountain. And we could see where the valley of Megiddo was, which ran all the way to the Jezreel Valley. But it was actually the same place where Elijah uh, competed with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And you can look at Revelation 16, 13 through 21. But I want you to look at this verse. I think it's key to learn this. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with his breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Now, what does that mean? He'll destroy him by the breath of his mouth. You know what it means? He will him away. And so this human, mighty, angry, violent, despot who's exercised great power in terrorism and tormenting many when Jesus arrives, He'll be blown away. Do we have confidence that our Lord Jesus will defeat anyone, including the Antichrist, who opposes him? In the end times, the tribulation will occur. Daniel chapter 12. At that time, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, which nation? Israel. Remember, he's writing to a Jew who is captive in Babylon, who's exiled in Babylon, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. That's the great tribulation. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. What book is that? Book of life. Now, God's people will suffer. Doesn't, that, doesn't it say that? Do you think any of God's people will die in this suffering? Absolutely. And there will be this great time of trial, this great time of suffering, and a time of many deaths referred to as the great tribulation. 
Matthew 24, Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 14. The, the angel Michael will stand guard over them. Which means some will be delivered from death. But it also means some will be delivered by death. By death. But will not be abandoned. See, isn't it interesting that we judge God's faithfulness to us by how everything works in this world. Did I get my raise? Do I have my house? Did I get the spouse? Do I, is everything good? My health's perfect. We judge God by that. That's not a biblical standard of judging God. We judge God once we see the next world. Okay, now Daniel was writing to what people group? Jews. Okay, Revelation was written by a man of what ethnicity? Jewish, and he was writing to whom? Christian, Jews, and some Gentiles. Because the, the towns of Asia Minor, Asia Minor also had Gentiles. So he's writing to early Christians, but they were all in the Middle East still. So does this mean that since Daniel is focused on Jews, does this mean that the tribulation only refers to Jews? And why? I heard y'all say no. Why? So y'all got to be careful of jumping out of the Old Testament and saying it's just the same as the new. It's not that you got to understand the context. So if you take that leap, you got to thoughtfully cross over that bridge. Daniel only knows about Jews. Daniel doesn't know about Christianity. Daniel doesn't understand this. He's writing those who are faithful to God, which we could call the Jewish remnant. And you can read, you know, in the, in the scripture, Romans 9, 10, 11, about the remnant. But does it also refer to all believers when he's talking about the tribulation? Now, who back there is talking? So I like that. I like that voice. Because what you just said is that Christians will suffer the tribulation. Do you want to retract anything? <laughs> now, here's the thing. Unfortunately, most of us have our theology of, ten, of, of the end times from LaHaye's book called Left Behind. And a lot less, or the movies, I get mine from the movies, and a lot less based on what this Bible says. Because here's the point. Your perspective on whether Christians, believers, will suffer the tribulation depends entirely on your millennial view. Now, I've given you an insert. This is a, from a chapter in a book that I, read, that I wrote and published years ago, and we actually went through it. And you remember Jared did some beautiful paintings for us, and we had videos and everything using the symbols. And so I just have pulled out this one part of the book for you to be able to read it. And if you can't sleep tonight, read this, and you'll quickly drop off. 
But understand this. You will suffer it unless you believe that there is a premillennial, what's the word? Rapture, which does not appear in the Bible. Well, is it true? Perhaps. There are other things we believe that don't appear in the Bible. The word eschatology doesn't. The word apocalyptic doesn't. But be careful. And don't be dogmatic. You see what I'm saying? And read through this. And discover, hmm, there's a lot of this worth discussing, praying about, considering. Because there may be a form of tribulation that we're immersed in right now. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 4 appears to indicate it. When God is rejected and our culture is flooded with just this disobedience and immorality, which is precisely why I call this series Living in a Foreign Land. So there's a, there's a, there's a sense of tribulation in which we're immersed today at least in here in America. Daniel 12, verse two. Many of those whose bodies lie dead. Okay, so what dies? Does your spirit die? What do you think? Your spirit never dies. Your spirit never dies. Your body dies. And death is the, is the spirit, the soul. We can use those terms almost as synonymous. They're not exactly. Soul is the animating force. Spirit is the gift of God that allows us to communicate with God. That's what never dies. That's God confirming it with a call. <laughs> See, the body dies and is buried and will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Will you be raised from the dead looking just like you look now? Roland? You hope not. <laughs> That's right, I want all my hair back. <laughs> let, me, let me give you this little aside. Paul writing about the, what's the body called that's raised? Come on. Come on. Glorified. He talks about the glorified body and he says the glorified body compared to your current body is like the seed that's planted and becomes the plant. Does a plant and the seed look identical? No. One comes from the other. So there's some connection, but you can't tell it visually, can you? So don't expect to look just like you look now. Now he continues at verse three, those who are wise, the wise are those who know the true God. And we've had, we're wise because we've been imparted wisdom by God. Fear of God remembers the beginning of wisdom. 
And those who are wise enough to trust his Messiah will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. At the end of the tribulation, there will be a resurrection of the dead. And those who live by faith and those whose name have been written in what? The book of life. Which, by the way, when is your name written in the book of life? When you're saved. That's a good try, but it isn't true. When, you, when is your name written in the book of life? Before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? The book was filled in before this world was ever created. Revelation 17, 8. But you can also read Revelation 20, 15, Revelation 21, 27. And so those whose name appears in the book of life will rise to everlasting life in glory and the others will rise to shame and everlasting disgrace. John 5, 28 and 29 talks about the resurrection. So here's a question again. Will you shine when the resurrection occurs? There's two conditions. He said, who will shine? It says it right there. Those who are wise, which means believe in the son, and those who what? Lead others to righteousness. So how many of you have led others to righteousness in preparation of the son's return? See, it's interesting, isn't it, how we can live so self-centered, we think as long as I get me and mine across into heaven, I'm good. Oh, no, no, uh-uh. We're, we're commissioned to not only believe and trust and follow Christ in preparation of his return, but we're also called and commissioned to reach some others. Who are you reaching? Have you invited anybody even to church? Be careful that you're not living your life based on this world, this job, this promotion, this boss, this house, this spouse, this car. And you just don't have time. These sports, these activities, these hobbies, and you don't have any time to prepare for the end. Well, I'm trying to set up my retirement, you know, and I'm, I'm worried about it right now because I've been studying because I think I need to get out of equities because the stock market, it's all over the place. And I need to get into precious metals. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. If Christ shows up and you got a stack of gold, you know what he's going to say to you? Why have you been collecting pavement? Because in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. Yeah, I'm about to get, get y'all excited. I'm going to keep y'all another hour then. It's, it's hard work to get y'all moving. In the end times, the prophecy will be unsealed. Verse four. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Surprising, isn't it? Seal up the book until the time of the end. Time of tribulation, when it begins. When many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. That's surprising. See, Daniel was instructed, now close this up. Write it down and close it up. And hide it away, seal it for the future. 
And the reason he had to seal it is because the contents weren't understandable to Daniel or the people around him. And so he wanted this speaker, this angelic speaker, wanted Daniel to be sure and save it, preserve it for the future generations of God's people who will need it when the suffering really starts so they can know what's happening. Now, God's people will know where to find insight into circumstances that will occur in the end times. But unbelievers will search for answers all over the place because they're looking at human sources. So there's going to be lots of ideas and lots of information and many, many opinions just flying everywhere. But they're going to search in vain for any understanding or any truth. Take, for example, now, when any kind of calamity happens anywhere in the world today, what is blamed is except no no global warming didn't work because it started getting cool so now it's climate change when in reality the cause of much catastrophe in this world is what the evil of man the evil when I say man I mean man and woman but you see how it's a whole lot more politically correct to say oh climate change Quit driving those cars. Get rid of these cows. Then. (laughs) That's not knowledge. Because it's not right today to say anyone is evil. The only folks folks can get away with calling evil is the intolerant Christians today. Look at Amos 8, 11 and 12. Daniel 12, verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked and saw two others standing on opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen. Some believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus who was now standing above the river. How long will it be until these shocking events are over? And the man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both his hands toward heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, it will go on for a time, times, and a half time. That's believed to be three and a half times. You can equate that as three and a half years. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand what it meant. Any of you there? Well, you're in good company. So I asked, well, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. And many will be purified, cleansed, and refined by these trials. See, here's the thing. Suffering doesn't damage true believers. Suffering, what believers? It refines them. It strengthens true believers. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will understand. 
Only those who are wise will know what it means when all this starts. In this time of suffering, see, the faith of God's people is actually improved. Refine, are we willing to be refined? Or do we get angry when we suffer, when we're sick, when we have difficult circumstances? The Jewish nation will be devastated by her enemies, which again appears to be today to be Islam, not the European Union. But God will step in to vindicate. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of 1,335 days. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. Now, from the time it says, from the, in verse 11, it says, from the time the daily sacrifice is stopped. Let me back up just a second. Has the sacrifice stopped in Israel today? Why? No temple. Who destroyed it? Romans in 70 AD. Now, there are plans to rebuild the temple. When we were there, uh, our guide said, yeah, they're, they're gathering, they're finding the red heifer to, that can be sacrificed. They are reforging the implements for the temple, but they have nowhere to build it because they have no control over the temple mount. The temple mount is occupied by what? Dome of the Rock. If y'all look at a picture of Jerusalem, that's a, that's a mosque. That's not uh, the Hebrew temple. And so before Daniel 12 verse 11 can be literally fulfilled, the Jews have to construct another temple. And so it'll either happen by agreement, which those who have more of a premillennial view um, believe that the Antichrist will forge peace between Islam and Judaism and the Jews will be allowed to build an, a temple on the Temple Mount. I think it's 35 acres. There's, there's sufficient room. Or it'll happen because the Jews attack Islam and destroy the mosque and take over control. Now, the period of suffering has been limited, but it's completely controlled by God. It'll last three and a half years, but it'll be extended for 45 additional days and bless those who wait and remain until the end of 1335 days, which means that it won't all stop cleanly. There will be suffering that'll go on and there'll be blessing for those who persist in this extended suffering. But as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, which means what? He'll die. And then the end of days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Are you preparing for the inheritance that's set aside for you? Because it means believe, but it also means reach. Who are you reaching to prepare? Some of y'all need to decide who is this man, Jesus. Others of you need to get off the stump and start making a difference in our culture and our community in living as a Christian and reaching and leading others to Jesus Christ. Some of you have been just drifting around. You need to decide what church are you going to be part of. Plug yourself in 
you say, well, God wants me here. Membership class is today at three right here. Some of you need to be in a small group, need to be using your life for ministry. And that happens at five o'clock today. I urge you, pray about it. If God says it's time for you to get started, we'll look for you this afternoon. Father, how we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us your word to prepare us for the time of suffering that may be at hand, but certainly is ahead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Counselors will be here to receive anyone, to pray for you, to talk with you, and please help us stack the chairs. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.